Welcome back to another week of the Marriage and Real Estate Podcast. I'm Kevin Shelton, missing one half of my uh, hosting team, my wife. Uh, but we didn't want to miss the opportunity to come and talk to you guys, especially with everything going on in real estate and going on in the world today. Uh, I definitely thought it was important to get out and, and speak to some of the things that I've been seeing online. It's very interesting. In the past week, they released uh, an investigative report uh, by ABC 13 on appraisals um, in black and brown communities. And I thought it would be the perfect topic to talk about here today on the podcast. So uh, today we'll be talking about gentrification. We'll be talking about appraisals, some of the pitfalls investing in urban areas and how we've overcome it in a lot of ways in our business, but also how you can navigate around it uh, as an investor. So, you know, to give a background on the article, ABC 13 did a two-year investigation on values in black and brown areas and how, based on the demographics of the occupant of the home, a home can be severely uh, devalued to the tune of half a million dollars. Uh, so they looked at several different areas. Our market, Houston, was one of them. And they showed a trend in disparity across not only black and brown areas, but also based in black and brown occupants of the home. Uh, there's a lot of articles that have come out. Uh, there was a couple in San Francisco that had a white friend list their house or a white friend meet the appraiser uh, to get a second opinion appraisal on their home and their value went up, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars. And then their stories across the country of other couples, other families experiencing very similar things. I know when um, my family was moving into at the time, it was historically white area. Now it's it's a, a more dominant minority area it was very hard for black families to even buy into this area. So my grandfather had to use his kind of proxies to buy into these areas. And there's lots of stories about uh, families buying into Riverside Terrace and Third Ward where uh, a white secretary or uh, a white coworker was the one who, you know, met the showing agent, things like that, put the offer in on the homes. So it's been going back since the beginning of, essentially our time since segregation. And if you look back at kind of the redlining and, and what governments and city uh, cities did, they wanted to contain minorities, right? They wanted to contain uh, these kind of undervalued groups of people in certain areas called, you know, on the other side of the tracks. So what they did was they drew a red line. And if you're on the wrong side of that red line, you're in the less desirable area. And with that comes being devalued, less property uh, appreciation, higher crime, higher unemployment. All these things are part of being in the lower area. You know, slower police response, a lot of the things that we still deal with today. Um, it's crazy because there was a... a wild dog biting in one of the neighborhoods that we build in. And uh, this stray dog bit a little girl. Well, it was a young Hispanic girl who got bitten. And typically police response is 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Well, 
the family said on the phone that it was a little white girl that got bit. And what they ended up doing is the cops came in, I mean, minutes flat. Um, and they were just looking at this response, right? Um, so it's a very real thing. And while there's been lots of work and, and tons of systems put in place and things to help overcome this disparity, it still exists to this day. So for us, when we used to do fixing and flipping, we experienced this probably the heaviest, right? Uh, because what we were doing was full renovations on properties. We were adding tons of value uh, for the occupant, but we weren't getting those values back on our appraisals. So we lost probably to the tune of two to $300,000 in just the values of the properties, even though we had signed, sealed contracts on each of these homes. Um, so it was devastating for us at the time. And it was really why we pivoted out of fixing and flipping, because one of the things that you can't do is you can't overcome a tidal wave. You know what I mean? Uh, and the hardest part about being a real estate investor is measuring risk and the combination of lower appraisals, right? You're already dealing with a lack of lending, the gap in, in funding in these areas. There's already a kind of stigma. So the work that you're doing in, in black and brown communities, while it impacts the community positively, it's not necessarily encouraged or ushered in by the larger um, kind of larger community, larger city. Right. Um, so our neighbors love to see us come in, but our neighbors aren't you know, able to give a dollar towards a development and they're not able to stop the city or these appraisers from devaluing. Um, the work that we're doing in the community. So it makes it extremely hard to buy back the block and build the block when the bank's against you, you know, the headwinds of uh, the appraisers and the, the kind of market doesn't necessarily work in your favor. There's a, a really, really bad combination there that equals bad deals when there's a lot of value to be had. And I found that there's a lot of people who stop investing in these black and brown areas because of that, because they don't want to experience losing money or trying to fight an uphill battle against an appraiser who maybe has a stigma against a certain area and feels like it's less valuable, even when it's perfectly safe, perfectly great, you know, brand new home or whatever the case may be. So now that we've talked about some of the background, um, one of the things that I really want to talk about is the disparity on the front and the back end, right? So on the front end, you're dealing with a disparity in the purchase side. So whether you're buying uh, a raw piece of land or an existing home, you're going to get banks that don't see the value in the area the same way you do. So your appraisals are low when you purchase too. And what that means is your loan to cost or loan to value is lower, right? So if you said, okay, I'm going to buy a house of $50,000, I want to put $50,000 in it, and my goal is for it to be worth $200,000. Well, they're going to say, well, you're paying $50,000 for this house, but we think it's really worth twenty-five, dollars And you want to put $50,000 in this house, but we don't want to take that risk. So we're going to give you $50,000, so half what you need, right, even though your plan is to achieve double in value. Um, 
And it's your job to make up the difference in that. And the hard part of that is a lot of us are starting off with very limited resources ourselves. So you're putting your life savings to try to uh, essentially create new value that otherwise doesn't exist. And a lot of times that's a very, very steep hill to climb. Um, I know for us, before um, we were really as educated as we were when we were just getting started, there were a lot of deals that didn't pencil out because the banks weren't giving us the value. So I think about one property that we actually had. It was an REO from the bank. We had put $5,000 hard earnest money down. Hard earnest money means that we don't get it back, right? And this was our first time risking uh, $5,000. It was a lot of money for us at the time. And I, I remember having a conversation with Aisha, and she was like, all right, you better not lose this money. And I said, no, 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 baby. It's a great deal. It's a duplex on a double lot on a great, you know, prominent street. And I'm thinking this is an amazing deal. We're buying this. I want to say we were purchasing the entire thing, both the lots and the house existing for $50,000, something we wanted as basically like an auction. Well, we took it to one of our hard money lenders at the time who's way more traditional um, not necessarily very encouraging for minority areas. And they came back and said, hey, the appraisal, the as-is value or the as-repaired value, the ARV, uh, came in at like, I want to say $120,000. Now, we're buying this for $60,000. We still got to put $70,000 in it just to renovate the house. So we would already be upside down. And that deal didn't work. The crazy part about it is when I look, I pass this property all the time now, the land alone on that property is worth almost $300,000 right now. Not the building, just the land. And because at the time we were constricted by what a bank would give us, by the value that somebody else saw in our area, we couldn't do that deal and we lost our $5,000. And I committed to myself that I'd never lose $5,000 again like that. Um, now, mind you, <laughs> past that point, we lost a lot of other money in a lot of other ways. But uh, we didn't lose $5,000 like that again because I told myself I'm going to educate myself on how to come um, around the bank, basically, how to be more creative, whether it's buying the deal down, whether it's being more uh, creative in how we raise money for projects, kind of going around the traditional rules of, you know, what a bank is going to see the value in, um, which during that time was our major pivot from renovations uh, to all new construction. And the reason why we did that is because at the time that we started developing in South Houston, there was no new construction. And for us, the risk was very little because I'm a builder. So I knew I had the ability to build new construction. There just wasn't many comps around. Uh, as we went through our challenges in 2019, we bought quite a bit of land. Well, as we pivoted our business, we had to sell quite a bit of that land. And we kept some and we sold some. The land that we sold, we sold to other developers. That became the comps of the new construction that we built our business off of now, right? So 
other developers were able to take those arrows and take those um, take those hits as they establish that new construction market for then we can come in with the land that we still held and build new construction now that comps out. Uh, and that was the saving grace because the reality of the situation is in South Houston, renovations are still not getting the values that they should. It's still a down market. It's still being undervalued and it's still being underappreciated. But on the new construction side, the comps have built up slowly. So now there's so much competition on the new construction side that it raises the, the tide for all boats. Um, so that was a creative strategy in which we came, um, came to understand that the best way to play the game is on the right side, right? Uh, we want to be on the right side of the comps, the right side of the appraisal game so that we're not losing our shirt trying to fight an uphill battle against a system that was created for us to fail. Uh, and honestly, that's exactly what it is. It's a system that was created and sustained for the consistent devaluing of black and brown areas. That's how the system was designed. So while we can complain about it, it doesn't change what it is. So the only way that you can navigate it is to understand what the landscape looks like, and then you buy your deals better, you get more creative in how you finance, and you go forward fully aware that the deck is stacked against you. Um, and that's how we played the game ever since. And for us, it's worked out, but it's still a hard battle. We fight for every sale, we fight for every construction loan, we fight for every appraisal, even though it's a more established market because you still get those wild cards that come in every now and then they go, oh, who's your buyer? Oh, where y'all? Yeah, nobody's gonna wanna live here, mark it down 20,000. Yeah, there's trash on the streets, mark it down 20,000. Yeah, you know, ah, those are some seedy people standing over there, mark it down 20,000. And here you are with the house that you want to sell to a buyer that's willing to pay your price. And the only value that can be justified is $60,000 lower uh, than what you intended it to be. And that's just a devastating reality of real estate, not only in the investment space, but in the, the ownership space in these black and brown areas. Now, one of the things that the article highlighted is as demographics shift, these values change. So what you find is as an area lightens up demographically, you see values increasing. As you know, the the ethnicity ethnicity and the faces change. Uh, and now you have, you know, joggers down the road and you have the Starbucks popping up, you see a lot of values go through the roof. Because now the companies come, the banks come, and they say, oh, you're right right on the other side of the tracks, right on the other side of downtown. This is great. Uh, this is a, I don't even know where this area came from. It's, it's free territory. It's newly discovered. It's, you know, uh, no man's land, even though it could be an established community for 50, 60, 70 years where, you know, it was where all the black doctors and all the, you know, all the families worked their butts off to buy there. Now it's new land. And they come in and they say, well, we think this is an amazing opportunity for us. 
And we think it's an amazing opportunity to build a new culture and to build a new uh, neighborhood and they rename it. And whether it's a Soho or a Boho or, a, you know, a one of the, the, we'll call them the hoes, right? That's how all these neighborhoods get reclassified. And that's how all these neighborhoods get uh, changed over to something much different than where they started. And the reality of the situation is there's a lot of wealth transfer lost in that. And as folks sell off grandma's house or, you know, you can't maintain the taxes, black wealth just decreases, Hispanic wealth just decreases because we don't have the dollars to hold on to these properties as we ride this wave up. A lot of times we have to let them go in order to just maintain our households. And that's a, a travesty. Uh, we believe in development without displacement. So one of the things that we focus very heavily on is instead of tearing down grandma's house, we want to teach grandson or granddaughter or daughter to keep grandma's house to, you know, here's how you pay the taxes. Maybe you got to put a payment plan in place. Maybe you need to put a tenant in place. Maybe you need to, you know, work with the city on some of the programs to rehab the property, something like that. That way, you don't lose the wealth transfer, right? Secondly, we're going to take this blighted land, and that's where we're going to build new construction. So instead of tearing down grandma's house and putting two new townhomes or a new million-dollar house, we're going to take that empty lot with the tires and the, the trees and the trash, and we're going to clean it up. And we're going to build something new there that adds to the neighborhood, doesn't take away. And then we're going to have a cohesive neighborhood where grandma's house can be next to new construction, can be next to multifamily, that can be next to a little corner store, that can be next to uh, maybe a little beauty shop or some kind of uh, commerce inside the community. So now you have a more mixed community. You know, we mix affordable housing with market rate housing, and we try to get the best of all the worlds. Because the reality of the situation is communities and cities are built on people at different walks of life in different stages. So you have somebody who's lived there for 50 years. We did a house. We took a house that had been unoccupied for 20 years. We started renovating it. The house fell down on itself. So we ended up building a new house. That new house we built was right in between a vacant blighted lot and a lady who had lived in that neighborhood for over 70 years, who was in her 90s. Right. She could tell us the entire history of the neighborhood. She was so happy to see us coming to do something with that land because she knows she worked her butt off. Her and her husband, her late husband, worked their butts off to buy the house. He was an engineer at, you know, wherever, and such and such down the street worked for GE, and such and such down there worked for Grocery Supply. And there's so much richness in the fabric of the neighborhood that you don't want to destroy with development. You want to add to the patchwork without taking away the foundation of, of what the neighborhood really was and still can be, right? And with that, comes people who appreciate what the existing neighborhood's makeup is versus wanting to create something new on top of it, right? Um, and that's fundamentally what we believe and what our development strategy has been. And one of the ways that we've chosen to combat and overcome these, I mean, honestly, horrible, horrible circumstances that they've created uh, for our communities, because regardless of what they say, we see the value. And regardless of what they tell us is worth, we know 
there is something here greater than dollars and numbers on a spreadsheet on somebody's book who doesn't care about the lady who worked her life to to buy this house or you know the young couple who was raised in this neighborhood maybe down the street in an apartment and went to school and wanted to come back home and raise their family we care about all those things and we're responsible for our communities and at the end of the day we'll end up better and stronger with a more robust economy and more resilient than we've ever been because we took charge of our own communities. And that's our solution for not only this appraisal issue, uh, this redlining issue, gentrification, and all the things that happen in black and brown areas because at the end of the day, nobody's coming to save us. It's our responsibility to save ourselves. Well, thank you for letting me uh, be on my tangent. And follow us on all social media and smash that like button and that follow button and notification bell. And uh, the next time y'all want to hear me talk about some of these more salacious issues, because my wife ain't here, that's the only reason I'm able to talk like this. Drop me a comment. Let me know if you like this. Uh, and we'll see you on the socials. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Marriage and Real Estate. This is Kevin Shelton. I'm out.